0: you're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a study of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 in a series called Better Together. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Love, 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 right? You know, the Jewish culture, they say, if something's important, you say it at least three times, right? At least three times. So love is really important, if it wasn't so important there wouldn't be hundreds of thousands of songs written about it. Right? I mean every single one of you can think of a love song. Most of you have a favorite love song, right? Favorite love song? Maybe it's What is Love? right? Remember that one? What is Love? Baby don't hurt me, baby don't hurt me no more. Okay? Maybe that one? Or maybe it's Tina Turner? Maybe it was Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It, right? What's Love Got to Do With It? Laura's about to break out back there. You start saying these songs, and they start running through your head, right? It's better for her to break out in it than me, okay? Uh, So listen, I can't do Tina Turner very well. Or Endless Love. You guys remember Endless Love, Lionel Richie and Diana Ross? I mean, come on. Oh, Endless Love. Or When a Man Loves a Woman... When a Man Loves a Woman by Percy Sledge. I mean, there are so many love songs. We're we're literally obsessed. We're in love with love songs, aren't we? We just love them. Love songs. Why? Well, it's because we all want to be loved by somebody. Every single one of us has this desire to be loved. We all want to be loved. As the Beatles would say, all we need is love, right? Right? Y'all know you were thinking it, right? Some of you are like, yeah, that one, that one. I was thinking about that one, right? All we need is love. Or the Bee Gees. Yeah, reminding you of some old songs that you used to listen to probably a little more frequently than you do now. Uh, Maybe they got it right when they said, uh, you don't know what it's like. No, you don't know what it's like to love somebody, to love somebody the way that I love you. You know, That one, wow. Imagine that that's what God says about you. You don't know what it's like. Oh, you don't know what it's like to love somebody. To love somebody the way that I love you. You have no idea what it's like. That love of God is so deep. So all of this... What does love mean? Love, baby, don't hurt me, right? Why? Because we get so hurt by love. Because love is this deep emotion that all of us have to deal with. Oh, we use this word all the time, right? I love you. I love my kids. I love ice cream. Who doesn't love ice cream? I love donuts. I love chocolate. I love my car. I love road trips. Right? I love road trips. I love my dog, actually. I don't, but I'm assuming that some of you guys probably do. If you've met my dog, you understand why I don't love it. But I know Rob loves his dog. Right? You love your dog. Mike, I'm not sure. You love your dog? You love your dog. Yes. We love our dogs, right? I love my friends. I love sleep. Yeah? Amen. Can I get an amen to that one? I love sleep, right? We could use a little more amen in here, right? Let's get this place all lived up, right? I love sleep, amen! amen, right? My son loves sleep, and he also loves meatball sandwiches and pizza. My daughter, she loves sushi. You ask her what's her favorite food? Oh, I love sushi. I love sushi, right? We use the word so often that it almost loses its meaning, I love this. I love that. I love this. The Bible uses a whole bunch of words that mean love. And they all have a slightly different meaning. And the reason that this is, is in most other cultures, there's a bunch of words for love. Now we add words in front of love, right? We call it brotherly love, right? Well the Greeks had a word for that. And so we're going to go, and there's five Greek words uh, for love. And the Bible talks about these five Greek words. Some people say there's seven Greek words for love. There's actually a little bit of debate about how many actual words there are for love, okay? So uh, I'm pretty sure there you can see my five Greek words for love, all right? And that's agape. I listened to it like five times. That's how you say it, agape, not agape, agape. Yeah, crazy, right? I don't speak Greek. It's all Greek to me, right? Uh, Philea, like Philadelphia, that's where that one comes from, right? Eros, we can't talk about that because this is church. Um, Storge and Fallucia. Anybody speak Greek and want to correct me on some of those pronunciations? I listen to them on Wikipedia. You can listen to something 25 times on the pronunciation thing, and then you get in here, and it's like, it's gone. Amen, amen. I think uh, Pastor Daniel and I know that, because you get into some of those strange pronunciations, and you listen to the Bible, and you listen to somebody pronounce them that knows exactly how to pronounce the words in Hebrew or in Greek, and you listen, then you get in here, and you'll be like, how did they say that again? I have no idea. I literally have a pronunciation key for Agape, right? A H H dash G A dash P A Y. So that I didn't forget because for my whole life I've said agape. Have you? Have you said agape? Yeah, so have I. So it's okay if I slip back into agape. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Agape, agape. Alright. So this agape is the love of God, but it's also love of children, love of a spouse, okay? Uh, this type of love is what's considered an unconditional sacrificial love, okay? The type of love that, hey, I would die for this person. I would die for this person, right? Most men say that they would die for their, their spouses. Most parents would definitely die for their children. Many have, trying to rescue their kids from something dangerous, right? So it's that type of sacrificial love. Love. And then the philea, okay, and I've seen it spelled a couple of different ways here, um, but um, it's brotherly love. It's deep friendship, okay? Deep friendship. And you know, the philea type of love is the type of love that we have for one another a brotherly love, a deep friendship type of love. Now, eros, this is one we can't talk about in church, so it's, it's intimacy. It's an intimate sexual, uh, both in marriage and immorality. So when we talk about fornication and we talk about all of those, uh, in English we actually get the word erotic from this word. So that, you know, that tells you that it, it can be both, right? It can be both uh, in a holy way inside of marriage or in an immoral way outside of marriage. And then storge, 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 storge yeah, is family love. Family love. I love my brother. I love my mom. I love my sister. Right? My kids. My uncle. It's a little bit different than the agape because I, it depends on who your brother is, but you might not take a bullet for him. Right? <laughs> Brothers are a little bit different than kids, than spouses. Okay? So, so it is a little bit different. And then the last one that you see up here is... Uh, Felicia, some yeah, And this is self-love, self-love, both negative and positive. And all of these words either show up in the Bible as a Greek word or they show up as a concept, okay? And you may be asking yourself, really, the Bible talks about self-love? Well, absolutely it does. What does Jesus command us to do? In Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 39, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's self-love, okay? This is the kind of the good type of self-love is me taking care of myself, me brushing my teeth, combing my hair, you know, all of the things that keep me healthy, eating well, all of those types of things is this type of self-love or it could be a really negative prideful thing. Watch, the Bible talks about that too. Loving myself too much, okay? So, but chapter 13 really focuses in on this word agape, okay, agape. So, agape love is the love that we see in chapter 13, but it's found 115 times in the scripture, in the New Testament alone, in the New Testament alone. Now, you guys probably know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A lot of you could probably quote at least four verses from it because it shows up just about on every wedding invitation, any anniversary type of thing, okay, that that goes out. You see it all the time. When you look at wedding invitations, it's definitely one of those options that you can pick is this 1 Corinthians uh, 13, uh, chapter uh, 4 And on. So we're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we're going to look at uh, kind of a, a summing up what Pastor Daniel talked about last week spiritual gifts. And so it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So last week, Pastor Daniel talked about spiritual gifts. And gifts are good, but that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us here. Gifts are good, But, right? So this is a really incredible thing that God has given us. He has given us his Holy Spirit because he wants to uh, overflow us with these gifts for ministry. And what were those gifts? Speaking in tongues, prophecy, the gift of knowledge, faith to move mountains. All of these things are incredible ways that the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives. But he says you can have all of these things, but if you don't have love, your actions and your gifts are meaningless in the kingdom of God. They profit nothing. They profit nothing is what the Scripture says, okay? The Bible uses this word abake, I'm sorry, see, it messes me up to pronounce it correctly. It's so crazy, agape. Agape, okay, agape, and then describes what it means in the next verses. So when we talk about these spiritual gifts, okay, it's important for us to understand that you could do a whole Bible study in just these little little section of three passages here where he talks about the types of tongues that you use, the amount of faith that we have, faith to move mountains, well, the scripture actually tells us that's about a mustard seed, worth of faith, right? But you think about all of those incredible things. And right before service, I was talking with a couple of people about books that we've read. Okay? And if you've read a, a biography or uh, anything about George Mueller and you understand some of these incredible men of faith, you see all of these amazing things that they've done And you look at the scripture, it says, even though all those incredible things happened, if these men didn't do these things in love, they're meaningless. Now, when you read the story of someone like George Mueller, you understand that his faith to move mountains, or literally to bring milk to the table, was based in his incredible love for the kids that were in his care where he literally would have them put an empty plate in front of them and an empty glass in front of them and say, kids, I want you to thank the Lord for your breakfast this morning. And they were like, uh. He said, "Uh, just thank the Lord for your breakfast this morning. And they prayed. And then they got a knock on the door. Hey, uh, I saw that you guys were up here and uh, my wagon uh, fell in a hole and the wheel broke and I was trying to deliver all of these things of milk. Uh, could you use this milk? Because it's going to spoil while we're trying to fix the wagon wheel. And then the baker comes. Hey, I know that you guys uh, are, are, have a bunch of kids here and I way over baked bread last night accidentally. And as I delivered it today, I've got a bunch of loaves of bread left. Could you use these? And all of a sudden, there was breakfast on the plates. Faith that moves mountains, but his faith was based in this type of love. So let's look at this agape, this unconditional, this love that uh, basically would die for someone, okay? So here we go in verse 4. It says, love is patient, love is kind, It's not jealous, it does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I'm pretty sure that I saw a couple elbows flying during that, right? Love does not keep account of wrongs. Love is patient, you're not patient, honey, right? Because when we talk about this kind of love, we we begin to look at this and we begin to say, hey, wait a minute, this is amazing. I wish somebody loved me like this. Somebody that was patient, kind, not jealous, didn't brag, wasn't arrogant. All of these things are incredible ways to be loved. They're incredible ways to be loved, and we all desire that. So this is agape love and it's a new kind of love. It's a new kind of love. It's pretty cool, actually, a new kind of love. John chapter 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love, agape, one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love, agape, for one another. Okay? Okay? So when we look at this passage of Scripture, we see Jesus actually giving the command, okay, that we're supposed to love in this particular way and that everybody else is going to know that we're believers and that we're followers of Jesus because we love in this way. That's what Jesus was telling them. Now, this is a fascinating word because this word, agape, is actually not found in very many uh, writings outside of the Bible. And a lot of scholars actually believe this is a word that the Apostle Paul created because the Greeks didn't truly have a word that described the love of God and then as they went back and began to translate in Greek some of the sayings of Jesus they would use this word agape when Jesus was talking about this unconditional surrender of love like he talks about in John 13, 35 34 and 35 interestingly enough some translations actually have the last one they will know you are my disciples if you have love and they merge two words together Because at the time, before Paul wrote this, the word agape wasn't there. It'll say philea stork, which is not an actual word. What does that mean? It means brotherly love, family love. So that means I so deeply love my brother in Christ that they become my family. Better together, right? Better together. Now, in later Greek translations, they would change this word to this unconditional love of agape, which is, describes the brotherly love that becomes family, is that we have this deep bond of love for one another as believers in Christ. This love is not set aside just for marriage. This love is not set aside uh, just for God's love for us. This love that the Bible is teaching us about right now is for the way that the church should be loving each other. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us right here in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I have for you. A new commandment I have for you. Love. Love. Love in this way. Love in this deep, intimate friendship that it's like flesh and blood. You know, that's kind of crazy if you think about it. Because this is the thing. A lot of us have family members that we, we love them, don't we? We love them. We just don't like them. Y'all know that's possible, right? You can love somebody and not like them at the same time. A lot of us have family members like that, okay? But this is the reality. Even if my brother... Right? And I have a brother, and I love my brother to pieces, but he is like the polar opposite of me. Okay? My brother is, lives in the sticks in Kentucky and spends his vacations hunting in the woods and uh, putting the heads of the animals he catches up in his living room, and uh, it's just not my thing at all. Okay? He's a bow hunter. Right? For those of you guys that don't like hunting out there, he's a bow hunter. There's a little more sport to that. But they eat everything that he kills, and then they mount the heads and let them come halfway out of the wall, which is, to me is such a strange thing. Okay, I grew up in Kentucky. That probably gives you a little perspective there. right? I grew up in Kentucky, but I absolutely love my brother. Okay, He's a great guy. But there have been seasons of life where I didn't like him. I didn't like him. Whether it was things that he said, there were things that he'd done. But guess what? Do you realize that in the world, when we decide we don't like somebody, we just start to shut them out of our lives? I need less of that person. I need less of that person. But the way that Jesus is describing this better together, says, hey, that person might rub you the wrong way, but agape. But brotherly love, family love. Learn to live with them. They're part of me. You're part of me. We need to be together. We need to be united as a body of believers. So it's just like that family bloodline. I can't get rid of my brother. I can maybe not talk to him as much, but I'll always love him. He's my flesh and blood. And the Bible is telling us that we need to love each other in that same flesh and blood way. We're all different. Isn't it amazing? We come from such different backgrounds. As we watch these testimonies, as as you hear people's stories and all these types of things, you'll hear, oh, well, I came from over here, and we know that we've got people from Washington State, several people from Washington State, actually, and uh, we've got people from all over. All over. Even really all over the world, right, Tonya? All over the world. So the reality is, is that all of us have different upbringings, have different backgrounds and all of this stuff, and God has called us to love one another in this way. We're called to have this type of love that God has called us to, but the reality is, is only God will do this perfectly. Only God can do this perfectly. Agape love is unnatural to us. It does not come natural to any of us, okay? It's supernatural love. Everybody likes supernatural stuff, right? This is supernatural love. We can't obtain this type of active love. This is a very active love. This is something that requires me to do something, okay? It's a very active love. We can't obtain this without the Holy Spirit living in us, okay? I will fail at almost every one of these attributes of this type of love. How about you? All right, you got 10 fingers, right? You got 10 fingers. I'm gonna give you a test, okay? So, on your 10 fingers, and you can keep them low so nobody knows what's going on in your business, right? Here we go. Here's your test. Use your fingers to count. I'm gonna start right here with your left hand. Am I? Am I? Am I impatient? Put up a finger if you're impatient, okay? Y'all don't look at my fingers, okay? Am I unkind? That's probably how you're feeling right now, right? Let's see. There was that one time I was unkind to the lady at the store when she told me there was no way we could do this. And then, some, yeah. okay, no, all right, all right, all right, all right. Maybe you're not unkind. Am I jealous? Envious? Ooh. Maybe sometimes. Am I arrogant? Am I arrogant? Not most of the time. Right? Not most of the time. Sometimes I think I'm way better than I am. Right? Did you put that filter on or am I just naturally this good looking? Did you? It, it's natural. Oh, yeah, arrogance. Sorry. Am I easily provoked? Am I easily provoked? Do people get under your skin real easy? Do people push your buttons? Do you fly off the handle just like that? Am I easily provoked? Well, I don't know how you did on that one. Okay, but this is like golf. The less points you have, the better you did. So don't get all excited if you got all five of those correct, okay? Don't get all excited because we got five more. Now the do I, the do I, okay? Do I brag? Do I brag, right? Not that much, okay? Do I act unbecomingly? Do I act unbecomingly? Do people look at me and go, what in the world is that guy doing? Not because I'm being goofy, okay? I know lots of people look at me and think that all the time. What is that guy doing, right? No, but because I'm being rude to other people, because I'm not acting like I should as a believer in Christ, okay? Do I act unbecomingly? Am I selfish? I don't know. Am I selfish? Maybe. Maybe. All of us are just a little bit, right? All of us are just a little bit. Do I keep account of wrongs suffered? Am I one of those people that in three months from now, in an argument, I'm going to look at you and go, remember that time? Remember that time when we were sitting in the sanctuary and I told some jokes and you didn't laugh? I do. I remember. Good job, y'all. Y'all passed. Okay, good, because... Woo, I thought I was going to have to hold a grudge. This means, do I hold grudges? Do I hold grudges? Do I bring up stuff from the past? Am I quick to forgive? Am I able to let things go and be able to move on once we've come to a resolution? Do I rejoice in unrighteousness? Oh, here you go. Here's your big test right here. You want to know this one? This one, all of you are going to raise your finger right now. I'm driving down the road, okay? I'm driving down the road. Right, this guy just cut me off and I had to swerve to get out of his way and I'm sitting there thinking to myself I sure hope he gets a ticket right and I go up a little bit further woo, woo, and the cops pull him over and I'm like that pays you back buddy right? I'm not sure that's quite unrighteousness But there's so many unrighteous things going on in our world today. And sometimes when people are paying people back for things or being mean to them and they've been mean to us, we're like, yes, get him, right? Maybe in your job, somebody was mean to you and then the boss comes hard down on him. And you're like, finally, somebody sees this jerk for what he is. You know, the Bible calls us to love those jerks for what they are. Ouch. It calls us to love people. So did you answer yes to any of those things? Because if you did, let me tell you exactly what it means. It means that you're human. It means you're human. Even if you answered yes to all of them, it means you're human. Okay? You are human, and God is still at work. In you. Only God Himself will get 100% on that test. Only God Himself. Only He can love like this without ever failing. This love in us requires a submission to the Holy Spirit. I have to allow the Holy Spirit to rule my emotions. You know, when we talk about love, whatever kind of love it is, it's always emotions and choice. Emotions and choice. It's together. They work together. My emotions and my choice. Because the reality is that in these deep brotherly friendships, there are days where I'm not going to like you. Not y'all, because y'all are great, okay? But maybe somebody else, right? There are days where you're gonna get on my nerves. Maybe it's because I didn't get enough sleep, and I just don't have the patience to deal with you today. I've gotta choose to continue to love you in that moment. Husbands and wives always know this. They always know this. If you've ever been married, if you're married now, you know this. That emotional ooey gooey love that you had when you bent down on one knee and put that ring on her finger, that comes and goes like a roller coaster. Sometimes it's just, whoa, this is amazing. 25 years later, it's amazing. Five years ago, I didn't even like her. Right? I mean, that's the reality. Okay? Now, hopefully, it's not that you didn't like her for five years and it only lasted for like a day until you dealt with the issues. Okay? So, I'm just, this is not marriage counseling though, so we're going to move on from that. I have to choose to surrender to the will of God to be able to love in this incredible way that he's talking about. Do you guys want the good news first or the bad news? How do you guys like to receive it? Because there's both good news and bad news in this, okay? We'll do the good news, right? Soften the blow of the bad a little bit. God is the fullness of this love. So when we fail, he still loves us. When you think about every single one of these attributes of this love, and you say, God, I failed at loving the way that you've called me to love. And you say, Yeah, but He is patient and He is kind and He's not jealous and He he doesn't hold accounts of wrong. So He's not just going to hold it against me forever. Oh, great. Awesome. Because He is the fullness of that love. Now, the bad news is you are going to fail. You are going to fail. You already showed yourself in your little test, okay? Because we are in a constant spiritual battle and the enemy wants to keep us from loving in this way. Why? Because this kind of love breaks down walls and causes people to grow closer to God and the devil hates it. He hates it. When we love like this, we draw people into the kingdom of God. They will know who you are by your love. They will know who you are by your love. Man, when people see that type of love in the church, it's contagious. They want it. They want to be there, okay? Now, I I gave you the good news, I gave you the bad news, now I'm gonna give you the most excellent news. We're not supposed to love like this alone. He didn't say, here's how you're supposed to love, now good luck. Have fun with that. I want you to study these, and I want you to walk around and say, be patient, be patient, be patient, be kind, be kind, be kind. Don't be jealous. Don't be jealous, okay? Maybe that's helpful for some of you guys, okay? But for me, it would be such a distraction in my brain that I'd never be able to practice any of those things. Romans chapter five, verse five. It says, and the hope does not disappoint because the love, agape, of God has been poured out within our hearts Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us that type of love. It's only through him that I can do it. He's poured out the agape love within our hearts. Which means it's in there. And sometimes I kind of think of my life, and maybe you don't, and maybe I shouldn't share this with you. Maybe it's a little too vulnerable. But kind of like a junk drawer in the kitchen. Everybody have a junk drawer in the kitchen, right? You open up that junk drawer and you know it is full of useful stuff. It's got so many incredible useful things in it. But you got to sort through a mess before you're going to get it. And this is the reality. If you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, that love that we're talking about, it's in there. You're just going to have to sort through the junk to get it out. And that's the reality of life. Sometimes we got to push away a lot of the junk that the enemy wants to cloud our thoughts with. Maybe it's aggressive drivers. Maybe it's a bad day that you had. Maybe it's a bad night's sleep. Maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe you got served with divorce papers. Whatever it is, there's a bunch of junk trying to distract us and keep us from loving the way that God has called us to love. Everybody knows Galatians 5.22, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Did you guys know that that word was agape? But the fruit of the Spirit is agape? It's love. It's this type of love that that God is talking about here. That the Holy Spirit will give us joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Do you see some of those same words repeated? When it's talking about the love in 1 Corinthians 13? Okay? The kindness... The faithfulness, self control, all of these things. Each of these fruits of the Spirit match the biblical definition of agape love. So when we compare the fruits of the Spirit to 1 Corinthians 13, there's some correlation there because it is the Spirit of God living in us that helps us to love the way that God has wanted us, that He desires for us to love. Moving on, verse 8. Love never fails. Love never fails. There are gifts of prophecy. They will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Love is lasting and gifts are momentary. The Corinthian church was in love. If you you like history... Okay, you can study the history of the Corinthian church. They were fascinated by the gifts of the Spirit. They loved to see them in action. And they were doing anything that they could possibly do to get these gifts of the Spirit. They're like, yes, bring the gifts of the Spirit. Let's have services to make sure that the gifts of the Spirit. They were trying to make sure they were in everything that they did to see gifts of the Spirit. And there's nothing wrong with having a special service to allow the gifts of the Spirit to work. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But when that becomes the main focus of everything that we're doing is watching the gifts of the Spirit, and we lose focus on the gift giver, then it's bad. And the Corinthians were in this kind of relationship with gifts of the Spirit. They love them, and that's why the Apostle Paul spends three chapters here telling them about the gifts of the Spirit. Here's the gifts of the Spirit. Here's is the most important thing of all. Love, love. This is this chapter right here in the middle. And next week, Pastor Daniel is going to talk to you about the use of the gifts and the orderliness of the gifts inside of the church. How they're supposed to function. Paul had to write this to them because these guys were fascinated with this practice. It became so important to them that they had lost focus of what was most important. And that was love. Loving one another, loving the people that God has brought into your life, okay? Listen, Paul is reminding them that these gifts are for a season. They're for a season, they're momentary, they're gifts to minister, minister to the saint, they're gifts given to us to be able to proclaim the gospel to the lost. And if we remember the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we see that in Acts 1 8 it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes over you and you shall be my witness in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. David Gusick says, the gifts are temporary containers of God's work. They're temporary containers of God's work. Love is the work itself. It's a container of God's love. That's what the gift is. If I've given the gift of prophecy, if I'm given tongues, if I'm whatever it is, it's to be able to demonstrate and show God's love to other people by by being able to minister to them, to reach them, to speak it in the language that they can understand it, that they can hear it, that they can know what they're they're hearing, whether it's interpretation of tongues, whatever it is, whether it's teaching, okay? These gifts are containers of God's work. Love is the work of God itself. So much so that in 1 John it says, if you don't have love, don't even call yourself a Christian. How can you call yourself a Christian if you don't have love, if you have hate in your heart against a brother, right? Here at Redemption Church, we believe that the gifts of the spirits are still at work in the church. We believe that speaking in tongues and prophecy and gifts of knowledge, all of the gifts, many churches take verses 8 through 10, to mean that the gifts of the Spirit are done away with today. They say that the Scripture is the perfect, that the Bible is the perfect come. And now that we have the Bible, they say that we don't need the gifts of the Spirits anymore. We do not believe that the Bible is the perfect come, but we rather believe that the second coming of Christ is when the perfect comes. The point of the gifts is to bring glory to God and draw us closer to Him in ministry to one another and in ministry to other people. And we need those gifts and that ministry until Christ returns and He's with us. But when Christ is with us, we don't need somebody to prophesy because He's there. When Christ is with us, we don't need someone to speak in angelic tongues because God is there. We will be able to understand Him in the fullness of who He is. So, when we look at these things, it's important for us to know that these gifts today are still active in the church. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4... We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, or about a month ago when I was teaching last. And it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. Okay, So when the first things have passed away and the new thing has come, it says God is tabernacling among us. He dwells among them. He's there. We don't need gifts To access the glory of God because we get the glory of God in that moment, okay? When we are with God, the first things have passed away, and Paul says they are done away with. The correlation between those two scriptures is is very strong, okay? Verse 11, finishing up here. It says, for when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. Face to face equals full knowledge. Face to face equals full knowledge. Paul says that childish things have passed away. He's speaking of maturing in Christ. We're like children, slowly learning and be given the tools necessary to live the Christian life. If you're a parent, you know that that's your job to provide your children with tools that they may be able to function in the real world. That's what we're doing. That's the whole purpose. How to deal with other people, how to drive, how to open bank accounts, everything. How to eat. Not put your elbows on the table. All kinds of crazy things, little bitty things that we teach them the whole way, that there are consequences to your actions. All kinds of things. And Paul says, as we mature, God is giving us the tools that we need in this maturity. Okay? And so that's why he says, when I was a child, I used to think like a child. But now that I am a man, I've put away the childish things. The more I grow, the more I learn, the more I know about God, the closer that I can become to Him. Now, remember, Jesus said, come to me like a child. Now, he doesn't mean in complete foolishness, without the tools to be able to understand ministry and all of those types of things. He's talking about in innocence, okay? So don't get those confused when uh, we talk about that, okay? Uh, so in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That's full maturity. Face to face, full knowledge. That's when we become fully mature. That's when these gifts can be done. Again. When we see Him face to face, I will know fully. You know, people say all the time, when I get to heaven, I got some questions for God. Right? Actually, I'm pretty sure the scripture says, no, you don't. You'll know fully. You won't have to ask God why this happened, why that happened, why did he let this, what did he do. No, you're just going to, it says you'll know fully. We will know fully. All right? So the Corinthians, a little more history for you. I teach a little bit of history, okay? The Corinthians were famous for their bronze mirrors. Their bronze mirrors. They used to polish that bronze up. They'd get that, they get it so shiny You could see yourself in it. They're like, this is great. Now I can fix my hair. Every single one of you has a mirror in your house, right? Now, the Corinthians never mastered the mirror. They would only shine up the bronze to make mirrors and hang them in their houses and use them uh, to put on makeups and do dress their hair and all those other things to be able to see them. But the reflection in it wasn't quite what you see today when you look in a mirror, has anyone had an old mirror in their house? And when you look in an old smoky mirror, the reflection kind of looks a little bit different than these bright, clean mirrors that we have in our bathrooms and all these other things. Now we've got mirrors that like magnify it like 25 times so that I can see the pores in my face and feel super self-conscious that no one else can see, but I think they can because I've seen it in a mirror. Right? I've seen that. I'm like, why would somebody want this mirror? Right? <laughs> What is wrong with you guys? But the Corinthians loved mirrors and Paul's speaking their language. Paul does that. It's important that we speak the language, that we begin to understand the culture to be able to love the culture. He says, right now I can see dimly your reflection in a mirror. And the Bible says that we are to be light like Jesus is light. He said, I am the light. And the Bible calls us to be light. But the reality is, is we are a dim reflection of his perfect light, okay? We are a dim reflection of his perfect light. But it says, hey, when we're with him, we'll have that full glorification of his perfect light. We'll see clearly. It'll make perfect sense. You know, a lot of times we say that in in life right now, God's got like this gigantic puzzle that he's putting together, and you're a piece in this puzzle, and the things that happen in your life are little pieces in a smaller puzzle going on inside of the bigger puzzle of the, the scope of God doing all of these types of things, and there's so many things that happen in life, and we're like, why, why, why? And reality is, is we don't know. And if somebody has all those answers, they're just making them up. We don't all know why. Nobody understands every single little thing that God does, that God allows, or any of those types of things. But we know that he loves us and that he loves us. Guys, he knows our thoughts. Psalm 139 reminds us of that. He knows everything about us. Verse 13, to land the plane. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest gift, love. Love's a permanent gift. It's a permanent gift because God himself is love. He is the fullness of love. That word in theological terms is omnibenevolent. Omnibenevolent. God doesn't need hope because he's omniscient. He knows everything. He doesn't have to hope for things. He knows everything. He doesn't need faith because He created everything. He's a creator of all things. What would He have faith in? God doesn't need faith. That's why the greatest of these is love, because God is love. God loves you. He loves you so dearly. The way that this scripture talks about these. Another quote from David Guzik says, the three great pursuits of the Christian life are not miracles, powers, and gifts. They are faith, hope, and love. But man, so often it's easy for us to get misguided and look for miracles and powers and gifts and all of these incredible things because they give us witness that God is is working among us. But you know, the Bible also says that the air that you breathe, the fact that it's breathable, The water that you drink, the fact that it's drinkable, the planet that you live on, the fact that it's livable, the sun that keeps us warm, the fact that it's where it is and we don't burn up, we don't freeze to death, all of those variables shows us that God loves us. But you and I know even deeper than that, that's not the only thing that shows me that God loves me. You know that John 3.16 actually uses the word agape as well. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the love that we're talking about. That's sacrificial love. And God has called us to be better together by loving each other in this way. You're going to fail. It's okay. That's what repentance is about. We don't fail on purpose. But when I'm unkind, I just need to talk to the person I've been unkind to. I've approached non-believers that I was unkind to. It like blows their socks off. It actually opens up ministry opportunities. Anytime I've ever talked to a non-believer and said, hey man, I just want to say that I'm sorry. The way that I reacted to you, was not very becoming, it wasn't very nice. Okay. There's a long story attached to that one, but I got I to gotta bring it home. If you don't know the love of God, if you haven't been saved, he said he loved you and he sent his son for you. And today is the day of salvation. God loves you. He wants to show you this immense love. So if you don't feel loved today, ask him. Ask him. Ask him to to remind you how much he loves you. Or ask him to show you the first time. Because like I said, this type of love, it takes commitment. This type of love, I have to decide to love like this. God decided to love you like this is why he sent his son. Not because we were lovable. It says while we were his enemies, he loved us. So let's pray. We'll take communion together So we do a worship song. And then we'll spend some time in fellowship because we're better together, guys. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you love us so much, Lord. We thank you for these passages of Scripture that remind us who you are and how deeply and passionately you love us. Lord, help us to do this walk, this life better, Lord, by loving in the way that you've called us to love. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all glory, Lord. And we just ask you, Lord, receive our worship Fill us with your agape love. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.